This is Marketing Heroes Unfiltered, the journey to CMO, the podcast where we interview high achieving B2B marketers to know their stories, struggles, and insights in this fast paced and competitive industry. Hosted by Leslie Carruthers and Danny Muscaplatt. Hunter Hoffman is Chief Marketing Officer for AmTrust Financial. He oversees the firm's global marketing strategy, content creation, and distribution worldwide. He has an extensive history of developing successful marketing and communication programs for financial services companies that drive awareness, affinity, and revenue generation. Hunter and his wife, Michelle, are parents to two young boys, Walker and Otis, and one crazy dog named Lando. This is a podcast about heroes, which is why you're here. Welcome, Hunter. Thank you so much for joining us today. The hero part makes me a little uncomfortable, but I do appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. (laughs) Have you looked at your LinkedIn page, sir? I have. Yeah, yeah. I spent a little time on it. You are a rock star. You are a rock star. You'll have to just learn to deal with it. Yeah. (laughs) So tell us, how do you start your days? Hopefully by exercising and taking my boys to school. I travel a lot. So the school part doesn't happen all the time. More than anything, yeah, try to exercise in the morning kind of like opens my mind up. I feel like when I'm on the elliptical lifting weights, like that's when I have like these revelations of like, Mm. wait, I should do something this way. Or just not getting angry about stupid stuff at work, which I feel like is, is a lot of people's downfall. And I used to do it. Like you get worried about some little thing. And I'm like, who cares? Like that's Mm -hmm. the biggest out in life. It's like, I just don't care. Do whatever you want and it'll be fine. What flipped that switch for you? Like exercise is a great mechanism to clear your head, but what point in your career, what happened to make you go from caring and maybe losing sleep to say, being able to say, I don't care? Yeah, that's a great question. I had a firm. I worked for two firms that were British insurance firms, and I was like the US marketing comms person. And the cultures are different, and they have different ways of doing things, and they're a little bit more hierarchical, uh, bureaucratic. There were certain things that were just frustrating me. I like, I kind of like action. I like to move forward and things were stalling out. And I remember getting really mad about something and I went back and I think I had like a, my, my older boy was like one or two. And I sat with him and I was like, wait, what if I didn't get mad? What if that just wasn't a big issue for me? And I moved on to something else. Like, would that hurt my career? Would it help my career? And like, at a certain point, I was like, you're feeding the beast. Like you're hurting yourself by caring about these dumb things. And what I ask people these days when I see them doing that on my team, how is that going to make your life better? Like, if you won that argument, how is it going to make your life better? Or are you still going to go home to the same home, the same partner? Nothing is actually better or worse. You just won a dumb argument. That's incredible. Thank you for that. I really like that. That's not one of our typical questions, but your answer is great. And I had to follow up. Thank you. Given all that you've accomplished in your career and where you are in your career right now, what's your origin story? How did it all begin? I think it really started when I took a job at a PR firm. I think it was my second job after college. And it was like dot-com boom. And one of our clients, they had this like plan to sign meeting with me like to meet for work, drinks after work. I was working in the Watergate building in DC. And they were right oh, near wow. there in Foggy Bottom. And actually, I had no idea what it was about. And they're like, we want to poach you. But then they had to fire the firm to hire me. And that's when, so I was doing their PR as part of this firm, but they wanted me to be their guy. We had these meetings and I talked to my, my girlfriend at the point, who is my wife now of 17 years. Nice. But as they say, like, what should I do? You know, they have this offer, like, what do you think? And 
that's when I think I got this like more of an entrepreneurial spirit where I was like, all right, well, like it's like kill what you eat. Like it's a startup. Like they had layoffs while I was there. And like I, my boss got fired. Everyone else in marketing got fired. You know, the CEO brought me in and was like, yeah, your boss is gone. Everyone else is gone. You're still here. Now you work for a company based in Scottsdale, Arizona. That was like that pivot moment. Like, do you jump in or kind of like slide back and say like, all right, uh, what do I do? You know, and we moved to Scottsdale. It was just kind of me all day looking at story angles and trying to figure out how to get this company in the news. And I put it together. But like from there, I was like, I can create something out of nothing, make a story out of something that was boring, selling military surplus and like bring it to life. And like, I kind of kept that with me since then. That's incredible. So is that why they approach you? Was it that creative energy and your ability to think outside the box that drew them to you to begin with? It's funny. They had this like, we're going to give you a hard time. Like, we're not happy with you as a PR firm meeting. And I got sent on my own. And like, only when I got to the meeting did I realize that I was like that sacrificial lamb. Like, they were like, let him go. He's going to lose the account. We don't care, whatever. And the founder of the company was just giving me a hard time. Like, you guys aren't doing anything. And I was kind of like, actually, you're not doing anything. Like, you're not giving me anything to work with. So how am I going to tell your story? And I kind of told him a few ways I thought it would work. And then from there, they were like, actually, we just want this guy. Like, we don't need the firm. I said, fine, like, you're paying them. I was 24. I said, you're paying them 20000 a month. I'll take 15. We're all good, which was way, way more than my salary. Sure. And they laughed at me. And, you know, they still gave me a bump, but it wasn't like that. But I was basically like, all right, you're the one who's doing it, but you're also being honest with us. You're kind of saying, this is why it isn't working. That's really cool. I like the authenticity too on both sides. Like you said, they were being honest. That's incredibly rare. I think that's the only way it works. And like as a advisor, one of the questions I was looking at is like, when did you feel like you made it or you had this credential? And it's really like when you realize these other people might know finance, operations, sales better than I do, but like I know marketing and communications and kind of got to a point where I was like, I'm not doing my job if I don't tell them what I think even if it's completely opposite of where they're going. And just say like, never want to say, I told you so, but like you set yourself up because in the future, you know, they'll come back and say, and I've had it happen a million times. Oh, you were right, Hunter. And I said, but I'm not trying to you know, rub your face in it, but yeah, that's why I told you that. And then the next time they are going to listen to you. That's great. Love it. And I love the background, you know, as a CMO, having been a freelance writer and editor at major publications and coming up through PR and comms. How do you find now in your role as CMO that you're balancing all the different areas you're responsible for? Yeah, that was actually one thing I was thinking about. Like a lot of the larger companies I worked for, Swiss Re is like multi-billion dollar company, a couple of the others, you know, a few billion dollars, but like marketing and comms, even social media were all like different disciplines. And when I was at Hiscox, which is a British insurer, and I was their first head of U.S. communications, they're expanding in the U.S. and kind of said, Hunter, help us do this. And I remember I was head of comms, but marketing was different. And mm -hmm. then they wanted to launch social and they wanted to put under marketing. I said, no, well, it goes under comms. And that was like kind of a fight about it. Mm -hmm. And it came down to me, I was like, social media is about authenticity, which is the same as media relations. So having done all of it, and now in a position where all that falls under my department, I think it works better when they work together, when they are mm -hmm. thinking together rather than like, 
that's a comms thing. That's a marketing thing. That's a social thing. And Mm -hmm. obviously the bigger the organization that gets harder to do also in different countries, in our international operation, I work with people versus like working together like day in, day out. But that's what I think works best. And that even goes all the way to corporate comms, internal communications. You start seeing stuff out in the public that doesn't match with what you know the company's doing. You're going to lose a little, little bit of faith. You know, are they telling me the truth? If you think back to really at any point in your career, are there any crises or pivotal points that have accelerated you towards where you are now? Things that were kind of junctional in your path? I've worked media relations, so a lot of crisis communications, like real crisis communications, like up at three in the morning type Mm -hmm. stuff. I really think for me, it's been about knowing when you need to make a move and also knowing when it's not a right fit. I think the Mm -hmm. position I had a little bit before this one kind of quickly knew it wasn't the right job for me. And my challenge personally was not to get down about it, but to say like, all right, what's the best route out of this? How can I display myself, make gains, you know, show progress so that I'll get to the next stop because I can just feel like this isn't right for me. At Amtrust, I've been here for, um, I think, almost six and a half years, which is a record for me. And I've had it previously where I say, you like, you leave a manager, you don't leave a job. And I've had managers that I love, but I said, like, I need to keep moving forward or else I know myself. I'll get kind of, yeah, get depressed, I'll get complacent. It's hard to just like rinse, wash, repeat. Like I have a hard time with that. And I recognize that about myself and like need to make sure that I still pay attention when I need to, right? Like just just because you're doing something for the fifth time, you know, doesn't mean it's still not important that fifth time. And when you lose it is when you start making like what the Brits call like the schoolboy errors, like real easy stuff that you just kind of miss because you're not, you're not focused. Yeah. Are there other tricks outside of, moving roles, moving companies to help get you out of that sort of the spiral towards schoolboy mistakes that you could give to our listeners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's taking a step back and saying, like, how do we do this slightly differently? What are we missing? I think any, all the, you know, kind of business leaders at Amtrust would say, like, when they see me, whether like an industry event, cocktail party, all the different stuff you do for a corporation, I always say, like, what am I missing? What's important to you that I don't get? There almost always is something that they're like, oh, I never thought to tell you about this, Hunter. But if we could do more of this in this area and that, and I think the fact that Amtrust is always doing new things, like there are always new challenges and we've been able to build out the international marketing operation to such an extent over the last two years that wasn't there before and really starting to speak as one company globally, which wasn't there before either. So that's kind of the new challenges and creating them for yourself as much as possible. That's great. Is AI giving you a new lease on your role currently? Are you looking at how to integrate it? And is that giving you like a fresh job? I think it's one of the good aspects of marketing and communications that keeps changing. I think with AI, I look at how it helps us predict what people are going to do. But then like, I look at like on the copy side and Leslie, you probably appreciate this. Like, I think it can help, but I, I also think it's going to place a premium on people like yourself that are actual writers and can mm. write that doesn't sound like a computer. And I almost like look at both sides of it. Like well, I want to use it because it helps with volume, helps with mm-hmm. some like ideation, like doing a Starting lot of things time. at yep. a basic level. But I still step back and I'm like, 
yeah, but I know what real writing looks like and everyone does because it resonates differently. And now you're, mm-hmm. you're used to seeing stuff online. You're like, I don't think a, I don't think a person wrote that. And mm-hmm. I think that's the flip side of the coin for me that like the actual real writers and editors, that's going to become a premium because less mm-hmm. people are going to be able to do it because you can get by with the computer. Mm-hmm. Like spell check, right? Yeah, I mean, we all use that. And I don't know if that's a bad thing, but I look at my boys, they're 13 and 10. And yeah, there are things that keep them from using ChatGPT and stuff like that. But like, there will be a little bit of that. And, you know, the writing, especially long form writing, all of that, I think there's still a real need for that and a, sure. a, a value that AI isn't taking away. Sure, sure. And it is awfully interesting to look at all the tools coming out. And consider how processes can be adjusted and adapted to shorten cycle time and reduce costs in areas to free up time so that we can get to things that we couldn't have gotten to or pushed off more often than we would like. That's exciting. It's the expanse of it, that it can do a lot of things really quickly. But then that human eye, it still makes a difference. It makes a difference for Google on the SEO side, but but also for the actual person interacting. Actually, it seems to me editing more than writing, right, will be the top skill. Because you can get drafts, but you have to be able to see what the structure should be and that it's going to be effective and you can't just let it loose from the AI. It's got to get synthesized by a a great editor. No, and I think there's just like, I don't know, for me, there's like a visceral reaction when I get like a press release from a partner and I'm like, this is bad, you know, like, and I can (laughs) switch it around. But like, how did it get to me like this? Someone else should notice that first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and before AI, bad writing's everywhere. No matter, right? (laughs) Yeah, more sources to come from now. I'd love to hear a little bit from you, Hunter, on how you manage in the organization because it's such a big company. Like when you're managing, I loved how you're, I hear service and you're asking peers, what am I missing? What do you know that I don't? Love that. So I hear that as managing sideways. How are you managing up, down, sideways? Share a little bit about your philosophy there, please. Yeah, Amtrust is about 6,500 employees globally. Mm -hmm. And I've been at a lot of larger organizations, American Express, Swiss Re. And I think what it always comes to to me, and this is not just in business, is where is the other person? Like, what's their perception of your interaction? And what are they trying to get to? And do they feel like you respect what they're saying? And I think so much, like, so much kind of things that don't work right have to do with people not like starting from that point where they say like, all right, the person in compliance, their objective is to make sure we don't get sued. And now I would say, well, I have all these things to do on marketing and why won't you let me do them? And why is it so much harder in Europe than it is in the US? And say, all right, all right, I'm switching around. I'm in their seat. I have one objective. What can I do to like make them feel more comfortable? So that'll happen. And with the business, And especially with like the CEO, the president, how do I speak their language? So they say like, well, you're doing a lot of stuff, Hunter. How do we know it's worthwhile? How do I connect what I'm doing to revenues, to the kind of sentiment about the company, our NPS score, all of these different things. And I think, especially on the marketing side where people get sideways is when they kind of lose that connection that you're... You're not an island, but like everyone looks at marketing in a different way. Everyone thinks they can do marketing. Everyone watches ads. You know, I kind of say like, I love hearing your ideas. I'm not going to do them all. Bring them to me. 
There's no guarantee, but I'll hear you out. And maybe there's something that we do that's almost like that, but not exactly what you had suggested, but like you're closer to it. You talk to the customers. I talk to customers too, but like you're talking to customers every day. What are their pain points? Get into their seat, right? From their view, I don't want to buy insurance. It's expensive. It's a grudge purchase. So how do you make it painless as possible? How do you make them feel good about the relationship? You know, we've done, I think, 35 client testimonials across the U.S. in the last five years. And for me, that was really like showing who is our customer and what are we doing for them? You know, we just did one in right outside of Philly, this great seafood restaurant, Kunkel Seafood. And it's saying like, all right, they made this easy for me. They made it make sense. They, I feel like they saved me money. And that's probably as good as we're ever going to get. That's incredible. Yeah. I love, by the way, that Leslie asked a question mm-hmm. about like management and you answered that, but you also brought it back to the customer. That's pretty incredible, right? Because <laughs> that's what we're here to do, serve the customers. And you, you found a way to connect it all, which is great. I don't mean to like flatter you to death, but it was a nice connection point. Appreciate that. No, I think, you know, when I look at like the managers on my team that I'm bringing up within the company, like that skill of how to deal with different audiences and I'm not an expert in any way, but like how to move through that because you can't do your stuff like your cool marketing creative stuff if you don't have that confidence that well this person knows what they're doing or they're trying to help me out and that's the main thing like they're trying to help me out is what i want people to feel and then they're going to support it they're going to engage if they say well they have their own agenda then it's not going to be as successful i'm hearing what you've learned in the trenches of crisis communication and what you're saying (laughs) You kind of look back at some of those things and are like, wow, war stories, all that. But like that kind of point where you just have to say, like, we're doing this and like, let's go forward. Mm -hmm. I don't know if a lot of people, you know, experience that where it's like, we actually have to make a decision right now. Like they're going to go to press and we're going to have to react to it. And I getting a call from Wall Street Journal that while in the time it's like stressful i think is it's helped a lot in terms of like not getting distracted from like what's the most important what's the key thing here what actually matters i can't think of better training yeah <laughs> agreed okay so you've shared with us a little bit about your teaching yourself to not care as much which i still am hung up on cuz i think it's so fantastic but the question is what keeps you up at night in spite of that there's got to be something that stays with you when you log off work at the end of the day yeah and i try to disconnects you know i'm i'm at home now i was traveling this week and we live in florida now and one of our friends actually said he's like when i'm in florida i'm palm tree paul like i'm just chill right and i try to do that i think i worry about falling behind like not not seeing the next wave of stuff but i i also i will let myself get down on some of like the business dynamics business is always changing and like am i staying with it? Am I still doing what they want me to do? And I think it's a bit of a balance because they're also like, Hunter, come up to us with new, more new ideas. And I'm like, yeah, they've kind of all worked out so far, but like, what about when it doesn't? And what is that going to mean? And I think I have a license to do that now, but like, how do you balance that out with introducing new things, socializing things before you do them? And I think I've learned that a lot as I've gotten older, like, having these conversations and saying, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And seeing where actually there might be resistance that you didn't even know about, 
but because you do that, people respect that, like, oh, you you care what I think. But at the same time, I'm not running every ad by the CEO. That doesn't work. So it's how do you balance that out? Like telegraphing what you're going to do, but also kind of surprise and delight, right? Because you're yeah. marketing and they want to be like, oh, that's so cool. I saw that. <laughs> you know, one of the golfers that we sponsored was number one at the end of the day yesterday at the, in the, the Shriners. So he has a nice visor with Amtrust on it. And I get texts at night from our president, head of sales, like, this is so cool. And they're always like, how'd you do it, Hunter? And I was like, if I had to go through like an approval process to do that, it probably would have never happened. Hmm. But because we're able to say, all right, I, I have money for brand. I'm going to do this for brand. And I don't have a ton of money. I'm not Hartford Travelers. You know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm jealous. But I'm getting my TV time, too. And, and that's what, how I look at it. That's great. Congratulations on that, by the way. There have been a couple of good ones. You know, I think we made some good bets and they've been great partners and really good with our agent and broker partners in on the hospitality side and getting to do a clinic with the PGA Pro. It's it's a pretty cool thing. That's very cool. Nice. If you're into golf, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Got a pretty big audience. Yeah. So do you have any advice, Hunter, for the next generation of marketers and comms people? So you're coming out of college, you're early in your career. I think the most important thing is to kind of never stop trying to make your mark, to do things that people will notice, people can measure. I think as a young employee, I probably drove my bosses crazy. Like for every 12 ideas I sent them, they might respond to like one and say, maybe. For me, it was just kind of like, I have all these ideas. If I don't share them, they don't know that. And if any of them break through, that's my ladder to the next job, the next position, putting points on the board, you know, showing what did you do? Did you answer emails, answer the phone? Or like, were you trying to drive new things? Every organization is different. Some are easier or harder to do that. And for me, where I am now, I have this balance of the large corporate with this entrepreneurial kind of vision that I think is a good fit for me. You know, when I came on, I first met the CEO, Barry Ziskind, my manager. She was head of corporate comms. She said, Hunter's here to get good press for us. You know, like, and Amtrust at that point wasn't getting great press. And he said, so do it. Like, just go ahead and do it. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I don't care how you do it. But I do warn people, like, if you have an idea, they're going to say, all right, run with it. And you need to figure out how to make it work. People will work with you, but they're not going to do it for you. That's great. So if you could go back in your careers or anything you would do differently? I do my pre-reading and I looked at that and I kind of say like, no, I would never change anything in life. It all happens for a reason. You know, the sliding doors type thing, like you're where you are, when you are for that reason. And you don't know it at the time. You only know it looking back. So no, I don't, I don't, I really don't think so. You know, I could say like, oh, I could have gone, there's just so many different things, but I like, I'm happy now. So I I wouldn't, there might've been times in my life where I would have said a different answer. Is there a burning topic? You've got a bit of a platform here. Is there anything that you'd like to share about or say something about? Honestly, with what's gone on this week in Israel and the Middle East and, you know, been through it on the corporate comms marketing side with BLM and all the, the riots, it's really like, how do we stay true to our personal beliefs, but serve the co- company at the same time? And where is that balance? I don't, I think it's like a day-to-day thing in terms of like, when do you engage and when do you, don't you? And my guiding principle is like, 
does it matter to your business? Is this affecting your business? Then you should have a POV, like a point of view on it. Mm -hmm. If it's not, maybe that's not the right way to speak out. And maybe it's the individual, but also how do you manage those individual voices as a corporate where they're kind of representing your company as well. And I've been through all of this and I feel like there've been good things and bad things, but I don't think that's going away. I think that's something that we're all going to have to think about in cancel culture, positively, negatively. How do you thread the needle and yeah, feel good about what you're doing as well? I mean, it's a very big thing, but I think it's, yeah. I see it as something that this is not going away and it'll probably become more and more prevalent mm -hmm. going forward, even more in the consumer space than, you know, B2B where I am. Okay. Oh, I think it's a very important one. I, I read a whole bunch of articles this week. I saw my company's response to it. And then I saw there was some backlash from the people at my company about our response. Mm -hmm. And then you read articles that say the CEOs that are doing nothing and saying nothing, they're going to get backlash. And so I'm like, ah, I'm glad that's not my career because it seems like you're damned either way and you just have to manage it the best you can. It's a uh, little bit of that, right? It's like, choose a path. There's no right answer. There's what you think is right right now. And yeah. Kind of, but the considering you do, you consider how's this going to play internally? If we say this externally, there's no, you're not homogenous, right? There are yeah. people on all ends of the spectrum that work for you. And how do you keep them believing and motivated and feeling connected if you say something that uh, creates divisions? But yeah. at the same time, just sitting on the sidelines isn't always possible either. So there's, the, and the employees will tell you that. Like, why aren't mm -hmm. you saying something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love how I can see how you're thinking and your philosophies through your answers, Hunter. So if you would, if there's something you're comfortable sharing, I'd love to hear a big hairy problem that you've worked out recently and share how you've worked it out, like how you thought about it and how you handled it, just as a, an example for folks. Okay. And this is a big chair. Talk a little bit to what we were talking about, about like the socialization and working mm -hmm. as one work. So we're putting in new marketing automation software, which is a good thing. We'll get more of our marketing pieces in the hands of our agents. We do, I think, a good job now, but this will definitely make it better. And mm -hmm. we were just at our sales conference up in Boston beginning of September, and I did my speech. And right before I was about to do it, someone on the sales operations side came by. I said, oh, well, I see you said you're going to do this. Have you signed with this partner yet? Have you signed with this platform? And I said, no, but I think we're, you know, we're going to. And she said, well, I don't know. And kind of threw cold water over it. And I said, all right. And she said, like, well, can we put other brands on this slide? I don't want everyone to think we're going with this one provider. And I kind of was like, I've done my presentation. Like, I've been working on this for a while. It's, I'm going to present to 200 people. Like, I know what I'm going to say. And kind of was like, that's fine. But like, I was a little wishy-washy on changing it. And she kind of said, well, if I change it and you approve it, it's all right. I said, okay, I'm going up on stage tomorrow. That's fine. But that was the start of the story where we kind of widened the circle. Whereas I don't need to necessarily, you know, vet all this by a million people. I'd already talked to the sales leaders and these are a different part of the org. But I said, let's let everyone give their thoughts, give their voice. And let's get to a point where everyone feels good about this. I feel good about it. But like, and that delayed everything, it's probably push it back six weeks. But now I feel like we are in that spot where we can all move together. I kind of hate when there's people kind of like throwing darts at you. Like, I don't want you to succeed and all mm -hmm. that. Like, how do I make it so that we all are trying for the greater good? We're all working together. 
You know, I don't work for Hunter. I don't work for the marketing org. You know, I work for Amtrust. And in my spot, I work with all the different areas of the business. So I'm kind of able to say like, well, if this doesn't work for you, like I'll go work with the people in London or Italy. There's plenty of avenues. So like nothing's pushed on you, but I will keep presenting you with different opportunities. And pushing on open doors is one of my philosophies is like, if you're going to help me help you, we're probably going to work together more than someone who is skeptical of the value of our interactions. Yeah. Great. Amen. Thank you. Is that what you're looking yeah. for, Leslie? That's good. I appreciate it. Uh-huh. That's good. All right. Speed round, Danny? Yeah. Speed round. We didn't tell Hunter, you about the part, a- Hunter. Uh, no, little... I was going to say, I did do my research. but You did. I don't... <laughs> so we leave this off just so that you don't think about it too much. It's not supposed to trick you or trap you. It's not the hot seat. It's just a fun little thing that we do at the end. So right. answer as fast as you can, but most people find this actually the most difficult to answer, even though they're simple questions. Okay. Is it one so, word answers or with- whatever oh. you'd like to do? You can speak as long, as long as you want. So mm-hmm. Hunter, if your career is a movie, who plays you? Wow. I'd like to say Matt Damon. I lived in Massachusetts a little bit and I would like to say I look something like him. He's a movie mm-hmm. star. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Nice. What's your favorite KPI? Engagement. I think maybe because I came from that PR and social background, but I look at engagement as something that if you have high engagement with a, a piece of content, it's going to follow through in your paid efforts and kind of everything else. That's the bellwether for me. Got it. First job, worst job? First job was uh, mowing lawns. I started with my grandmother's lawn, Mattapoise at Mass, and then ended up doing, I think, like six or seven neighbors. So I had this little lawn mowing business when I was 14, 15. My worst job, I worked for Mass. Perg, which was like a public advocacy group. And I had to go door to door one summer, getting people to donate to them. And they basically mm-hmm. said like, you have three days to get $400 of donations and you'll make the staff or whatever it was. And I did that the first day. And I spent the next two days up in the Hant Mass, like north of Boston, just on the beach. Because I was like, once I made my numbers, I didn't want to knock on any more doors. And they kind of brought me in that third night. And we're like, Hunter, you were like spotted on the beach, like literally not working. And I was like, yeah, I hate this job. I hate it. All right, so we're done. I was like, yeah, that's. I just wanted to prove myself I could sell it, but then I'm done. Like, I don't like knocking on people's doors. I'm not, that's not me. I love that. What's your that's favorite awesome. productivity hack? <laughs> Putting away your phone. <laughs> There you go. Turning off your email. I don't do it enough, though. What's the last book you read? Last book I read. It's this book. (laughs) It is kind of inside the NRA, how the NRA became so powerful in America, but also their calm strategy, like what they did to resonate with groups. They used to be much smaller and incredibly poorly managed. It's amazing how big a factor they are in America, considering... It's like a few people in Alexandria, Virginia, who don't really know what they're doing. And what was the title? There's a bit of glare on the cover. Uh, Misfire. Inside the Downfall of the NRA by Tim Mark. Mm. I think right now when like I read about a book, usually Wall Street Journal book review, I just buy it immediately. Then like figure out whether, whether I like it or not. But like if I say like that's interesting, I'll just go on the Amazon link and buy it as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. Leslie, we need to make a book list. We, we, ask, we ask this question every time and right. not publish. Oh, that's a good book. idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we started a book club at Amtrust about a year uh-huh. ago and read these different books and then have a talk about them every three months or so. It's been really nice. That's great. Awesome. What's the most, who's the most fascinating contact on your phone? Hayden Buckley is one of the golfers that we sponsor. And nice. he only got in touch with me because he couldn't find us when we were at the hotel one time when we did an event. But 
It's not like we text back and forth, but he, he is a PGA pro. He is, nice. you know, I think going to do a lot of things in his career. Oh, yeah. Very nice. That's great. What was your worst subject in school? It's funny. I think it was, it would say math. And then came a point and I wanted to go back to school after college, business school. And of course, there's a decent amount of math involved. They let me into Cornell, but they said, you need to do like remedial classes. So I quit my job in Scottsdale and went to Scottsdale Community College go artichokes and just did school for like two months. And that was actually like so much pressure because if I didn't get like a B plus or better, they weren't going to let me go to Cornell. And so like that was my job for two months. And I actually realized I wasn't that bad at math. I always just thought I was. And Mm -hmm. that's why I tell my little boy Otis, who says I stink at math. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, you don't even know you're in fifth grade. Like you don't know that you stink at math. And he's been working with tutor doing much better, Mm -hmm. but like, it's almost that the confidence that I, whatever, at some point I tried some math problem and didn't get it right. And then just mm-hmm. thought I wasn't good at it. Yep. And then um, we had this finance class at Cornell the first year. And I thought it was just so hard and I just barely do it. Was hoping to get a B at least. And then I found out after like, there were like 10 people who failed completely and had this mm-hmm. like secret remedial class, like in the corner of the building. And I'm like, oh, wow. I thought I was the dumbest. Like, <laughs> like, other people are having an even harder time. Yeah. Awesome. If you could be famous for one thing, what would it be? Come up with something new that people hadn't seen before. Cool. Great. Can you describe yourself in five words? <laughs> Understanding, energetic, empathetic, family focused. Mm, nice. That's great. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? People say you, you're a nice person. Nice. Awesome. All right. You can relax. Unless Dan yeah. has anything in his pocket, we're good. No, that's always such a great one to end on. And I love that that's your favorite because I get told, like, you're too nice. It doesn't work. You can't be a nice guy in corporate America. And I think you've proven you can. This hour that we spent together has been so fun. You are so nice. You mm-hmm. give us your time to be as authentic and transparent as you've been. Thank I get it. You are very nice. Thank you oh. so much. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. No, thank you so much. This is cool. This was fun. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hunter. Really appreciate oh, it. Oh, no, this has been great. Thanks so much. Talk to you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Thank you for staying tuned. If you're enjoying these conversations, we would appreciate it if you subscribed and give us a five-star rating. It helps us increase the podcast's reach. Thank you. See you next week with more inspiring stories. This episode of Marketing Heroes is brought to you by The Search Guru, produced by Circle Audio and podcast cover by Andra Lazord.